And this is live. Welcome to another edition of Benzman Biz here on NRM Streamcast in Detroit. I've got a very special guest with me this morning, and we're going to have a very unusual show since we're coming back for the first show of 2024. I can't believe that, 24. Anyways, in the studio with me today is a gentleman I met a few years ago, and he is a man of all trades and all, all, all different things. Rick Smith, who's been in the music industry, gosh, probably 40-something years. Is that right, Rick? to say it's 50 years 50 years okay we gotta get rick's head mic up a little bit um all right so anyways 50 years so rick um you know rick is an entertainment attorney um he's he's dabbled in the real estate markets and um it's amazing the people that he's touched and how many gold and platinum records you've uh, helped get on the charts over the last 50 years so rick uh welcome to the studios Welcome. Okay, thank you. How are you, Paul? <laughs> good, good, good. Yeah, Welcoming it's, myself there. I can hear myself. Here you go. Rick is in the studio. Anyways, Rick, let me let me go back to uh, where did you grow up? I grew up in Detroit. Okay. Um, just south of Eight Mile, for those of people in Europe that are listening, and moved to Franklin in the '60s, uh, right after the riots of '67, and then. Um, I stayed here uh, until 1969. I, I moved to, I went to Syracuse University for a year, and then I went to Boston after that. And uh, I came back here. I lived in New York for 20 years, and then came back here, and I've and raised two boys, and um, it's been a, an amazing journey. All right, let's go back to Boston. I want to get to your music career. And you went to Boston, and you met a really interesting gentleman in Boston uh, while you were going to college, was it? Yes. And, and what was his name? His name was Stephen Tallarico. You probably know him, and the rest of the world knows him as Stephen Tyler. And so Stephen Tyler of, of Aerosmith. And, and how did you guys first meet? We first met, I was living on Commonwealth Avenue, and I was walking my friend's collie. And uh, this strange young man with uh, a black cat earring, even then. This is 1971. Okay. And um, he said he started petting the dog, and I was throwing a frisbee, and he, we started uh, talking and laughing and riffing, and we sat down, and uh, we we sat down on this park bench for about three, four hours. It was just uh, love at first sight. I mean, friendship at first sight. Really? What did he say? What did he say he was doing back then? I mean, you, you he, ran into him. He was walking the dog. And, and what was he, he doing? literally walking the dog. Yeah. Uh, um, he was in a rock and roll band, and uh, they were called the King Bees. The Chain Reaction was his band. They were doing Yardbirds covers and Rolling Stones covers and starting to write some original songs and hoping to get a record deal. So did he invite you to watch them, or how did you first see him them play or perform? I, f- I first saw them in the boiler room of the dorms at Boston University. So was he going to school back then? He would no. No. He was squatting. He was squatting, so couch surfing. This is 1969. He had figured out a way to live for free in the dorms. Really? Yeah. Um, was he sleeping with women back then, or what was it? Yeah. I mean, everything. <laughs> I mean, he would, he was a very... Uh, infectious personality that instantly people loved him. Um, he still is that way. But um, he was like your best friend that you just hadn't met at that point. Wow. So this is you, so you became friends. You started watching him. So when did, when did you get involved with them, maybe in the music world? I started, okay, we lived together in 1971. Um, we were at 203 Com Avenue. Um, I was living with the drummer Joey Kramer as well, and I had a, my best friend uh, from here who was getting married and asked me to move out of the apartment. 
which was very strange. Usually you, you would be the other way where he would say, I'm moving out. Yeah, moving out with my girlfriend or fiance, right. right? Instead, since he was paying the rent, I guess, he felt uh, empowered. And uh, I used to see them on Friday and Saturday nights. On uh, It was called the Big Get Off. Everybody would pay like $5, and they'd bring a keg in, and the band would just practice, rehearse, play, whatever. And it was they were amazing. They were. And, and so when did... Uh, what was the next move? So you were with them, and, and what were you doing with the band? Were you what did what they ask you to do? Did they ask you to help them with the business end or anything? Well, I I was Stephen's advisor. Advisor. Um, this okay. is way before becoming a lawyer. Okay. But um, I helped him, you know, shape his his vision, and uh, actually, um, you know, advise him like when they started to get interest from record companies, uh, they, from a local band to Clive Davis. Wow. Um, discovered them, came up, an amazing show. It was uh, Aerosmith opening, playing 20 minutes in front of Edgar Winters, White Trash, um, Humble Pie. Well, how many songs did they have back then? I mean, it's just eight. early on. They had seven eight songs, eight. seven or eight songs, seven or eight. and they opened up for those bands. But how did Clive, how did he find out about well, that? Well, in those days, um, there were, I mean, it was very, very. A&R scouting was a very big uh, thing. They would have young college kids that they would trade their eyes and ears for, you know, vinyl. And there were scouts everywhere at every campus. If somebody saw something that was interesting or if there was a local band that showed up in the tip sheets, uh, they would, uh, you know, they they would hear about it and they would either send someone up to check out a live gig or whatever. In this case... Because they had a song that was a career copyright, Dream On. Wow, they had it early on. Yeah. And once they had that, that was a hit at two different times. I have to tell you about that. Yeah. In those days, um, there was a House uh, a congressional committee that was investigating the, uh, the awareness of drugs in, drug references in musical lyrics. Okay. And Dream On was considered to be a song that was uh, drug reference, uh, drug referencing. Uh, Dream on. Um, so was uh, White Rabbit by Jefferson Starship, yeah. Jefferson Airplane. Um, also, you know, Puff the Magic Dragon was oh, considered. Yeah. So there was, uh, they, they saw first song when it was released, when Dream on was, came out, it was, it was put on the shelf because it was uh, banned in a lot of the South and the Northwest. And it was a hit four years later, 1974. Um, at that point in time, the band had already started to record their second album, you know, Get Your Wings. Um, you know, we just became friends um, until they got on drugs in the mid-'70s. And I realized um, this was going to be on the back burner, if ever. And I came back to Michigan, went to law school. And that's where it really gets exciting. Yeah, tell us about that. So, where you went to law? Where'd you go to law school? At? University of Detroit. U of D. Okay. Came back. I did it in two years, three months, twenty-seven days, and nine hours. Not that I was counting. And uh, I was going to work evenings at WABX. I was going to do a show at night and go to school during the day, and then they switched to disco. This oh is man, okay, that wasn't your bag. It was no. my bag. What year was that? Nineteen. 19- 75. Oh, wow. I started spinning 77. Okay. Yeah, doing those parties. So I got, I went through law school night, day, summers, Saturdays, whatever, and got a job in New York, um, paying $17,500 in New York City at a, as a young lawyer. And I lived in a basement. In, on the Upper East Side. Something about you with boiler rooms and yes. basements, right? Boiler rooms and basements yes. would be my, the name of my album cover. Yes. But it was, um, it was, happened to be with people that were starting a, a idea for a Saturday Night Live show. It was Saturday Night Live. It was um, Lauren Donahue. Really? Uh, who partnered with Lauren Michaels. Yeah. Andy Friendly was involved. And I was renting a room that was the size of a mattress. It was literally wall to wall mattress. A wall to wall mattress. So if I socially, if I anyone came back to my place, I mean, there was only they one. They had place to sleep to, with you. Well, they had to at least lay next to you, right? Well, okay. Something. It was the only way we could talk. <laughs> there you go. But um, 
you know, it was, uh, I, I got a job with this lawyer named Joe Zinzak who represented comedians that were not really hot, that had been or might Has be been. again. Okay. Shecky Green. Shecky Green was my favorite. <laughs> he was my absolute favorite. Martin and Lewis separately. Really? Yeah. Um, wow. Patrick Henry, Jack Parr. Um, well, those, were, those were names, you but know? Don Rickles when he was cold. Really? Like there was some time that he uh, was called um, Godfrey Cambridge. Um, so what was the name of the firm? Has been comedians or what? Well, so, but they all had, this is before licensing and before cable and really. Okay. So all of a sudden these things started to happen again. Um, Jerry Lewis had a comeback with King of Comedy, the Corsese movie that, uh, wow. um, and obviously he was always big in Europe. Dean Martin was, you know, was coming back. All the, the hip Rat Pack thing was in Fogue. I mean, they were selling merch. They were doing shows in, in the old Vegas, the Flamingo, the Sands. And um, I was the guy that And he at the El Rancho Vegas. <laughs> right. That was my great uncle. Really? Yeah. Ben Aronoff out of Toledo. Ben Aronoff. I remember. I know so the Benny name. So Benny is my great uncle. So sold out in the 50s for 460000 And his sons went out and bought the Warner Brothers Ranch in L.A. And they have all this industrial and regular property out there. And they're there to this day. So then I'll, I'll just tell you. Oh, I can do this real quickly because yeah. I've done it a number of times. So I practiced law until 1982, 83. I was called upon to represent, represent in the mediation a young group of black uh, musicians called The New Edition. Oh, wow. They had just done a song called Candy Girl. Yeah, Candy they, Girl. Right. They paid, they paid them $100 each and a VCR. Really? For a million plus. Boy, did it get raped. So I came up to get them out of their contract. Yeah. And it's at that meeting, the five kids and the moms. Yeah. And the kids were falling asleep in the conference room on the table. And the moms were like, well, what do we do? I said, they said, can you manage us? I said, I, I really don't. I mean, I'm from Detroit. I'm, I mean, Motown's in my blood, but I don't really think I can manage a young group of 13-year-old black kids that sound like the Jackson 5. I said, what are you getting, you know, f like for live shows? They said, well, we're getting like three to five grand. I said, you didn't say that they, you know, they need management that badly. I can definitely do this. Okay. I can help you. You heard the numbers and all right. of a sudden you're right. I said, three, four I grand. This yeah, is what I do. Okay. And so from there, it went to Ready in the World, Ready for the World with wow. O Sheila. Yeah. And then I had uh, Colonel Abrams uh, trapped. I had the system, which was I called the Miami Vice of Rock. They had a top five song with "Don't Don't Disturb the Screw." So, were you on your own then? I was on my own. Okay, so Rick Smith, the entertainment attorney, started to blossom. Yes, and, and manager, got, and it got crazy. And manager. So let me go back. You're going too fast because this is exciting to me. You know, well, we've known only each other. A, it's only a ten hour show. Right? Well, whatever. We'll make okay. it as long as All I right, think good. I own the place. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, you know, it's funny. So you go. Let's go back to New Edition. You know, there's the moms. Where every every mom from each kid there. Yeah, and Bobby Brown was like the youngest of nine kids. Wow. And how so, was he back then at thirteen? He was the same he is now. Oh, really? Only thirteen. I mean, like just the a only big thing, mouth and all that stuff. Unbelievable. I mean, like a real character. Um, I foresaw trouble in his future. He so, was just a little too ahead of himself. So let's go just on them. You, you right. took them and you took them, you toured them and all that stuff. Any big numbers and albums with them you had? Oh my God! Yeah. Tell I me mean, about this. Come so on. So we had the first record um, was platinum. Yeah. Second record was double platinum. That was uh, with Cool It Now. And with Bobby, Ricky, Ronnie, and Mike, if I love the girl, who cares who you like? And it was five years of, from 13 to 18 of, I felt like I was 13 again. I started getting pimples. I started, I felt like, I didn't want to wear a retainer. But I mean, these kids were straight out of, you know, one of the worst areas out in Boston, Roxbury. And the stories of of their just their youthful look at what was going what was happening they sold out four shows at madison square garden um they were the success was the fact that the jackson five and michael jackson was was unaccessible to teenagers it right, was like right. a dream like michael jordan right but the new edition were any five kids 
from any high school in any urban center in America. That so was their success. How long did you run with those guys? Five years. Five years. So you were there with five years. You saw a lot of success. We um, met a lot of amazing people. Do you have any phone numbers from these guys? Do you ever call them? Do you ever say, hi, remember me? Well, yeah. I mean, like they call. I, I get mostly, uh, I don't keep in touch with Bobby, and that's fine. Yeah. Because that's not good for your health. <laughs> <laughs> but I still talk to Belle, Biv, and DeVoe. Really? What and are they doing right now? They're still playing. They were. Really? I just saw them the other night. They were at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction thing, inducting the spinners. They were part of the... Oh, my spinners. I love them. Yeah. Games people play. Right. Yeah, one of them lived around the block in Southfield from me, and, and they were still one of my favorite bands of all time. So, so wow, you know, you're, you're fine. Let me say something. I'm going to break a little here. You know, with Rick, he's a really great person with no ego. And, and when I say no ego, I'm learning a lot of things right now that I've never learned before. And this wasn't going to be a music show, but I'm taking it there because of, I'm so interested in this. So we've got, okay, we've got the boys, and you talk to them, and Bill, I can't believe that. So, okay, that was it. What was next for you in, in, the, in the music world? So Ready for the World, Oshila, which sounded like Prince. Yeah. I used to actually, in the record stores, I would put their record in, under P or in the Prince oh, yeah, section. Yeah. But then it went to... Um, then it went to Colonel Abrams, who had a number one song with "I'm Trapped," and then the '80s. I had, I had um, the Four MDs. I worked with Lisa, Lisa and the Cult Jam. The '80s stopped. The R&B really stopped in uh, 1989 with "Pump Up the Jam," of Technotronic, which was a, a master that I bought in Europe at a convention for really? ten thousand dollars, and then sold it to Charles Koppelman, and it sold millions of copies. I mean, wow. but I just did a straight-out, quick-claim, whatever. But it was, that was amazing. And then, and then I got into rock and roll. The 80s, the 90s were rock and roll. I, um, I was asked by Tom Petty to go down and judge a talent show. This is probably Wait, 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 that. Tom Petty. How did Tom know about you? Um, because he had looked, we had met a couple times um, when he was on his way with Heartbreakers, and we, I knew him from MCA Records when he was actually the first artist to declare bankruptcy to get out of a, a usurious uh, con, artist recording contract. And it worked. He was on the shelf for a number of years. He couldn't yeah. record, but he certainly made up for it. But it, he was his Forgotten Harvest uh, charity. There were 20 bands playing in Louisville, uh, 20 rock bands, and I was asked to be a judge. They, they call, he said, you're from near Louisville, right? I said, well, Detroit. He said, it's <laughs> yeah, a suburb. <laughs> you know, so I drove the five hours down there for a weekend, saw 20 bands. This is during the Hootie and the Blowfish period. Oh, gosh. So um, most of the bands had one black guy with a golf hat on. And uh, one, one band, this kid Travis Meeks, um, sounded like Jim Morrison, unfortunately had the same habits as Jim Morrison, which ultimately led to his uh, the demise of his career and his personal life and everything else. But the band was called Days in the New. And he really stood out. He did a song alone. He was 16 years old. And I knew, I just saw dollar signs. I knew this kid was special. He's probably one of the most talented people I've ever worked with. Wow. And his first record sold 2 million copies. We did a sold-out tour with Metallica, played stadiums. And then the kid got on drugs. You know, it's so, that is the one thing that runs through my 50 years. Yeah. Is, it's usually around five years. You know, what I used to say to the young kids is, give me five years, stay straight, stay sober, do everything I say. And then after that, you can do whatever you want. You want to, if we still work together, fine. But it'll take five years. You know, and if you give me that time, you will be able to do anything you want, whether we're friends, whether we're business associates, whether I say hello to you or we don't. But, um, <coughs> excuse me, um, Donny Osmond was the most interested. All right, so let's let's wait a second. So, so yeah, you're going to cough a little, cough a little dry. Yeah, cough button. The cough I don't know button? if the cough button's working right now. They got decoughed. I don't know. But anyways, keep coughing. I'll talk about Rick. <laughs> excuse me, so, sorry. So, oh, you know, what, what I'm thinking of this is, you know, I'm, I'm into the music world, and, you know, we right. want to try to change it. But... You know, when I, I think of entertainment attorneys, and this is where you don't shine like you should be shining, that I think out of all the entertainment attorneys, 
have been in the field, you have the most experience of anyone in Detroit. That is true. And and so what's, you know, I, I want to go on a journey with you when we started here. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Alan. And uh, Alan, thank you very much. Alan's the water boy in everything today. Alan's bringing some water in. Um, but what's interesting about this is, and, and once again, please listen before you open your mouth because I know you. Um, you are a an amazing person. And when I met you in the music stuff, and we met from a mutual friend. I talked to Edie the other day, and I said, yeah, we owe you dinner. And, and, you know, and, and I'm trying to change the music world and, and with your help. And when we first met, you know, oh, you're crazy, Benzie. Here's Benzie. I said, you know, you said you're going to change the, the music world. And it's still my passion to help artists in the digital age. You know, I, I'm sitting the other day, and I'll drop a name because he's a great guy, Paul Blair, Gaga's producer, her first DJ. And I'm trying to do entertainment venues, and he's very interested that the ticket price for new artists is less than Ticketmaster service charge. That pisses me off. When you got a group and you got to pay twenty five dollars to thirty or whatever percentage of a ticket, where you want to bring in a new band and charge twenty dollars and pay the band a few thousand dollars, and you over double it if it goes through a Ticketmaster venue. So we're looking to build these streamcast live venues. I'm going to go see Paul in Chicago in the next few weeks. You want to go for a ride with me? And he he wants to get into the Gobbler with us, that other venue that we just got approved. And so it's it's the goal of streamcast music to enable young artists to make money in the industry. And, and get paid a fair amount. A, a nickel a stream instead of Spotify paying the labels .003. Merchandise on demand with no cost to them. Um, $5 fan clubs. Yo, fan club. You like an artist? Support them. So if they use our foundation, they should make a living and be able to focus on their arts. And and with people hear your background, because you don't flaunt it. I've never seen you flaunt it. I've never seen you say it. But we're an, an attorney of a lot of wannabe lawyers. And some are really nice guys. They're really nice guys. But when it comes to resumes, you're like in the Indianapolis 500, and they're in a go-kart race. And, and that's what I want to talk about. And so, you know, and I'm sorry I'm talking so much, but I want people to know who's on the show right now and who you are because you deserve those accolades. Thank you, Paul. I've sold – in my career, I've been involved in the sales of about 50 to 80 million units. Wow. I have over 140 gold and platinum records. <clears throat> and mm – -hmm. You know, I, I used to, if you were a young artist, I would say to you, okay, my goal is to save you from heartbreak and going down the wrong roads. Now, you're going to go down a few. They're out there. It's, it, that's just the way it is. There's speed bumps and landmines all along the way when you're an artist because you're doing it because the, there is no plan B. Right, right. This is what you feel. This is your calling. You're not doing this. The people that say to me, I want to make money, you don't hear from them. You know, <laughs> it's for the they, wrong reason. Right. Got, it's, I always say, if you love what you do, do it well. Money is a byproduct. You feel the same way in your in your basement and with your Pro Tools as you do playing in front of, in the palace. And it's funny because today the basement Pro Tools is really where it's starting. I mean, you know, you you have bands, uh, you know, Billie Eilish. Look at her in her right. closet with her brother, and you know, then within a few years, she's like the greatest thing since sliced bread. So here's the thing. Here's why I'm probably the most practical lawyer or advisor or consultant in the music business here in town. And that's because I've, every one of those clauses in the 35 or 40 page agreement that you've seen, mm -hmm. I've actually been screwed over on one of those, I, pretty much every one of them. Now mm -hmm. the goal is that it only, I was only screwed over once. You took a licking right. and you learned. Now if it was twice, I'd be embarrassed. But the fact is every one of those clauses, which people say are boilerplate or that's just in there or whatever, whether the accounting clause or the dates or the this or the suspension or the indemnity, all of that comes into play at least once. Right. Not for every artist, but at least once. Right. And to know the practical effects and what can happen and to head that off and realize that no one in the arts benefits from going to court. Right. Except the lawyers. Right. Because what happens is you have a certain amount of a, win, a window of opportunity and creativity in any artist's career. And who knows how that is? Some people are one-hit wonders. Mm -hmm. Some people have 20, 30, 40, 50-year careers. Aerosmith, 50 years. Yeah, look at Elton John, how many albums. Right. You know, look at you look at the Chicago. Chicago. It's funny. In 38 the albums, and it, they just it, had a new one? Yeah, but you look at digital age, it seems like you have artists that have three, four hits, they're gone. It's not like it was. It's not as deep as it was because I think they make so much money that they forget it, they get it, and do whatever they do. Well, the hardest part right now for a new artist is how to find your market. Yeah. 
and I always tell them, "What is your champion? What, wh- where do you, where, what do you see yourself?" And they say, "Oh, I want to be like this, or I want to be like that." And they, "Oh, I want to, you know, be United States." And I say, "Hold on, hold on." Then this is free advice, and this goes to anyone because it's the best advice I can give. Divide the country into four quadrants. If you're an artist in Detroit, draw a box, a circle from from here, Detroit in the middle, put uh, Flint, Grand Rapids, Milwaukee, Madison, go down, include all the way to Peoria, go across to Louisville, maybe across to Charlotte, uh, come up south of Philly and across Erie and Cleveland, Toledo, and up. There's your there's your territory. There's your world. There's your region. That's your story. Um, I used to say back in the day that I can sell a million records on I-75 without ever being cool. Right. There's a lot of towns along I-75. You know, that's well, in fact, um, people don't know. Sixty percent of the United States is within a hundred miles on either side of I-75, from yeah. here to Orlando. There's the population right there. And those are hardworking people. Right. That work hard and play hard. And they want to escape on either a Friday or Saturday night. You used to be able to do both. It's too expensive now. But go to a club, see a band, and be taken away from the, the tough aspects of their life. That's our goal with these Streamcast Live venues and small venues because, you know, it's, it's, it's tough today because a bar has a choice. Do we want to make money or bring a band in? In most cases, they can't do both. And our goal is to be able to stream from these bars and get sponsors for that and help new artists because... If we execute our stream platform right, we'll have control of the artist and we don't have to worry about streaming because they'll own the streaming rights and they'll make money from the streaming and the sponsors. So, you know, we get a beer company and a band that ends up paying three grand for a night, but the bar could only pay them 500 and we make money from sponsorship. So that's really our vision. And, and what I like about you, you're still, you know, before COVID or when COVID started, you were still putting bands in bars and you were still yourself calling the stations and all this stuff. People don't realize, and, and this is what I've really found interesting in you, and I've never really talked to you about it, is what you really did for these bands that didn't appreciate it, but at the same time, it's the same old formula. What's old is new again. And, you know, as much as, you know, the vinyl plant deal I put together and got that together, people say, what's happening? And I said, just because technology changes doesn't mean the old things don't work. You know, you still work hard and play hard, but if you work hard, you're still going to get results. You know, the great thing about being in the business a long time is that you can, you know, copy and plagiarize yourself. Mm-hmm. And, for example, I, I used to do things, my favorite thing to do, I've done it in every decade and try to do it with every band, is, is doing a concert in your living room. And I did that, I did it with Aerosmith. And I did it with New Edition. Wait, wait, wait. A concert in your living a room. Concert. Was, whose living room was it? Just a, a apartment? Anyone. Really? So here's so the have, way Tell it me works. how we had. Tell All me. Right. This is interesting. So you're a radio um, you know, you're a program director. Yeah. And I go, Paul, I got an idea for you. Great promotion. You're like, what? I said, here's the thing. All I need for you to do is get a sound system, some lights, and a disc jockey, a remote situation, and then advertise our show that we're coming in to play the Royal Oak Theater. And here's what we'll do. You say, we're going to give one listener a concert, a full concert of whichever artists. I did it with Saving Able. In their house. In their their house. They're allowed to invite 100 people. This still could work today. It still, it always works. But why isn't anyone doing it? Because people are lazy. All right, we'll keep our secret because okay. we're going to do this. Well, no, I, I did it with New Edition. Yeah. I did a full show. The person that won was a fourth floor walk up in the in the village. Ah, bring all that equipment so up. So we the, the equipment up. Yeah. Um, it used to be that I could guarantee that the show would be canceled after three songs. Yeah. That the cops would come and I'd have photographers and videographers. Yeah. Oh yeah, and more stuff PR. Yeah. Because and then page six would pick it up and say, New Edition. Who maybe people don't even know yeah. was was arrested or yeah. was forced to close. Right, I would do stuff with Seether. I did them to. I, I had them play on an abandoned gas station off the Strip, off Sahara Boulevard. Wow! And and I had the label pay for a thousand dollars worth of gas, uh, ten yeah, gallon limit. Yeah. And I had the Hooters girls there. Well, my lead singer's walking around smoking. I had the band playing, station, up playing the in people's cars, <laughs> yeah. doing acoustic to a song in their cars, Amazing. filming everything. Yeah. With Saving Able, 
I copied the um, Let It Be on the rooftop. Yeah. I put, we set up on the roof of Capitol Records in, at 57th and uh, 6th and played. People couldn't figure out where the song was coming yeah, from. The cops on the were roof. looking. Yeah, yeah. We filmed that. Wow. I mean, I played on the roof of the Capitol building. I don't take any more because here's the deal. We're going right. to replay that with some new bands. You got me thinking. You know, you, you really, what's old is new again. And I want to say this because with Streamcast, which is cool because, you know, let's let's go about what we're doing. You know, people hear the word podcast, which is an audio-only file. Only, audio only file. We're Streamcast. We're audio video. We have video streaming today. So I would love to do what you did back then today and and use the stream live stream from there. So go ahead. Sorry. So with Saving Abel, I did. I made it a barbecue because we played here in the summer. Yeah. So we, we gave, the winner was uh, 19 in Garfield or somewhere. On okay, the, on east the, side. East yeah. side. We pulled the tour bus up. They always call more people, which is awesome. You know, they, you tell somebody they can only call 40 people, right. So we pull up, and there's like five or 600 people there for wow. this barbecue. Now, the station, RAF, uh, gave the beer, and they paid for the, you know, they put the garage. We said, we'll play in your garage. So they put their logos and all their, their hanging, you know, uh, black velvet stuff, and the soundboard was there. We played a full set. People kept coming. Um, we no one knew whose house it was. I mean, the cops were like, "Is there really a band like a national band?" You gotta play there? here, yeah. I said, "Yeah, you know that song, Addicted." They're like, "Yeah." I said, "That's the band they're playing right now, in that house." It's funny how you say that because people, when they hear a, a celebrity or something, uh, I'm gonna go a sidetrack here. My son is doing an animated series, and Ice T's one of the characters and, and voice actors for it. Okay. And so they did the the Novi Comic Con, and my son threw a dinner at Buddies on Northwestern. And I went in there pretty good tables, and I'm telling somebody, yeah, Ice-T shirt, oh, yeah, you're full of whatever. Next thing, Ice-T walks in with his wife and the kid, and, like, you're not full of it. And it's amazing when people see celebrities, like, wow. Well, it's fun. And what people talk about that, my, one of my most fun things was before the day of digital, when, I've done things like when, when cell phones first came about, um, I at the live show I would say text this because it's all about getting your finding your audience right, and right, right, right so before digital really what I would do is a write-in campaign I wanted email addresses you know that was the thing or you wanted you wanted addresses and phone numbers mm-hmm. and stuff so I would do a thing for uh, we will have Seether will play an after school uh, show at your high school for the high school that can gather the most amount, the most amount of names, uh, or the most amount of emails. Well, it's funny you do that. Yeah, literally. And we ended up playing at a, at a middle school in Kearney, Nebraska. You, obviously, you have to tell them that it has to route in because they start getting excited, and you know you don't want to drive from here to Portland, Oregon. Oh, I get, I get it, I get it. But yeah. Sure enough, I tell the guys. They said, "What are we doing today?" I said, "We are going to have a, a lot of fun." We're going to sell merch so to pay for the gas. We're playing a high school after a basketball game. They were like, what? Are you nuts? I said, it's going to be awesome because every one of those kids now will get online and say, you're not going to believe what. You can't I go to high school, yeah. Seether played my high school, and I, I saw it when I saw the Who play it. South and high, high yeah, South and high. In 1967. You know? um, and they destroyed their equipment, and I think it – kept any bands from being allowed to play there ever again. I mean, like the, the well, insurance reasons. Well, it's funny you say that. We I went to Letterly Junior High in, okay. in Southfield, and Eminem Mars had a contest to, for Redbone to play at the at the Junior oh. High. So uh, a friend of mine, Gary Lichman, and I, we did the morning announcements. You had to have a wrapper or a facsimile of M- any Eminem Mars candy bar. So we had to collect these. And we did it for a few months. We came in number two. We didn't get anyone. We didn't get a booby prize. But people were eating Snickers out of the machines and, and, and three-by-five cards writing Snickers on it. And we, we collected hundreds of thousands of facsimiles of, or wrappers. And Redbone ended up going to a high school, but we did that. And, and it was fun. That was the days that they went to the high schools, and, and they went out and just saw the numbers. And, and my belief and what I really liked about you when I first met and you were there working the bands is how really involved you get. You know, people don't realize that still works today. I mean, it's it's different with digital a little bit, but you still got to place them somewhere to play. I would also, I would also, I would hire, you know, sixth graders or eighth graders to call the radio station and request the songs. I give them a dollar each a day. Really? I mean, it's not really. 
I guess it's not kosher, but I mean, like you do what you do. Well, it's a different version. You know, you look at, you got it. You really believe in someone. You know, today it's a little easier with digital. I truly believe with the tools today that artists can, I mean, there's a lot more competition and a lot of songs out there. But I believe if you take a little bit of the old and a little bit of new today, that's the winning formula. It has to be fun. Yeah, yeah. And that's the one thing that you can see through my whole career is that I was having fun and they were having fun. And, you know, I would, uh, for an unknown band, I would have them go into a town early, take their guitars, take like a practice drum pad, go into a McDonald's at lunchtime, play two or three songs. People come over, what's... What's going on? One of those little amplifiers that you know, no, I get. Well, they, they got the MTV the drop-in concert. So you know that they'd show up at a bar in a school or a, a museum. That still works today. I would tell somebody, for example, here's the thing. I'd have the fan club, but before yeah. I charged anyone, I would say, here's the thing. If you can sell 50 CDs, you will meet the band when we play there. If you sell 100 CDs, we will let you sit on stage. And if you sell 500 CDs, we will play at your house when we come to town. Wow. And so what happens is that, you know, you don't have to be a marketing specialist to realize it's an upside down uh, triangle. And what I mean by that is in the old days, you, uh, if you like something, you would tell 2.8 people. I never understood the 0.8. I mean, I've like seen the 0.8. They walk on their knees. Right. But go ahead. Okay. So, so let's say three. Okay. So that means the th person in the passenger seat and the two in the back. Right. So that's, you know, you'd put your CD in and you'd say, check this out. It's unbelievable. I got it at EJ Corvettes right. in South Film 13. Twelve ninety nine. go ahead. So, um, so then they would like it. And they go, what's the name of this? This is incredible. What's Oh, it's Queen. Oh, okay. Then they would buy it. Then they would tell. Yeah, it's like the shampoo three. commercial. They would tell two friends. Right. They would tell friends. Yeah. So it was really easy. It's like that old thing when they say, would you rather have $100,000 or a, a penny that Multiply doubled every day. every day for 30 days? Yeah. And everybody goes, I'd obviously like 100 grand. No, you, because it actually. Oh, no, I get it. Listen, it's, right. it's, it's funny. You get it. And, and what's interesting today, and back to social media, if they go on social media, hey, check this about you know, and, and you'll get so many likes. Hey, check out this band. And, and there's some new ways to do the old ways. You know what I'm saying? It's it, to multiply it and, and with, with prizes. So I'm going to change it because we're really going through a lot of stuff here. So we talked about marketing. You brought up a name, and he's still playing in Vegas. Donnie? Still got, yeah, Donnie. So how did you get a hold? How did Donnie okay. and, and, and the Mormon family get a hold of you? Howard Stern. How, what? Howard. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. Howard Stern. From Southfield, like you know, he, remember he was here. Yeah, he I know. Hey, right, right. So he, he was in town. I think I think he was on Wheels, or was it yeah, www? Yeah, www. Yeah, 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 right, right. W4. So Donny Osmond had become nuclear reactive. I mean, he was literally nobody wanted to touch him. He was just like. Uh, People made fun of him. He was, was like, like too clean. He was right, a Mormon. He right. like drank white him milk. And Marie, and right. He you know. None of it's. I'm Donny Osmond is the only artist that I've worked with that said thank you to me. You know, it's funny. I saw him on uh, the the play with the Technicolor. Joseph and the Telecrow. He was amazing. He is amazing. He, he's, he's a he's true talented. entertainer. Yeah, yeah. So, I had an idea for him. Um, his lawyer had called me and said um, it was John Frankenheimer, who you know. John T. I'm yeah, playing phone tag in this week. Okay. Yeah. Um, called me and said, "What would you do with Donny Osmond?" Yeah. He said, you know, then be serious. I yeah. Said, what I would do is I would make him current. He said, How, what do you mean? I said, I would stop that whole, you know, puppy oldie love. puppy love. Yeah, stop know? puppy love. And I would, I would <clears> basically <throat> get him with the musicians and the songwriters of today. At that time, Sledgehammer was coming out by Peter Gabriel. Sledgehammer. And, and, and the album was done in Bath, England. And the producer was George Acovney, I'll never forget. And I had a meeting with Donnie in Los Angeles, and he was just just him. He showed no bodyguard and whatever, showed up, drove. And he said, what would you do? And I liked him immediately. We both liked each other. It was, um, it was just, he's just one of those guys. Everyone feels that they're close to him because yeah. he's part of their lives. I mean, you see him. So what was the song he came back with? So what we did is I said, you need to have a sound that's like the police, that's like Sting. 
vaccine. Right. So he was like, what? I said, why don't we do this? Why don't we send you to England in the middle of nowhere near Stonehenge? And you go in this studio, Peter Gabriel's studio, and just see what happens. And he said, okay. Really? And Really? And I said, do you need someone to go with you? Uh, he said, well, would you go with me? I said, sure. So we flew off to England. We took a train. We go up to uh, Bath, England. Donnie immediately hits it off with everyone because, I mean, all their parents, you know, love the Osmonds. Yeah. Da, 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 da. And he made a song called Soldier of Love, which has the distinction of being the only platinum single on an album that didn't sell gold. Really? That's how, it. How, hey, Soldier of Love. What year was this? Oh, my God. This is 1988. Was Frankenheimer's attorney then? Yes. Because I'm going to be speaking to John this week. Okay. I think I'll blow him away. I'm taking notes. Um, so... Uh, we shopped the album. We made an album. We shopped it, and we got some strange reactions. Capitol Records said, we really like it. We have the catalog. We, we, we think this is really interesting. Would he change his name to Don? I said, what? Would you change your name to Paul? He said, well, it is Paul. I said, oh, well, whatever. Would you? I mean, no, yeah, yeah. he's Donnie Osmond. They said, well, no, that's, we can't really see putting like a, cu- a quarter of a million dollars might behind breaking Donny Osmond again. I mean, I, we don't know if it's possible. But Don Osmond would, could create a whole new startup. I said, no. He, the, the guy sold millions and millions of records. He's like literally. Yeah, we don't want to start over. Right. So sure enough, we shopped at a couple more. Epic Records said, would he change his name to Don? We said, this time we were smarter. We said, of course. And then the minute that we went to the art department, we said, it's Donny Osmond. Here's the logo. Here's the artwork. Da, 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 da. Put the record out. He toured. Um, I think he needed to get it out of his system. Yeah. I think he needed to come back again because after that, he became very successful in, in Vegas. He did a residency before they called it that. He toured this the show Joseph and he was he became Joseph yeah he, he, was, he is I mean the, 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 the I still was, watch it so I had little kids at the time I remember getting a call from him we hadn't talked in 10 years and he said uh, you want to come to the show they were at the Fisher Theater and I said well I'm in Florida but my I know my kids would love and my wife and so he he made a big thing he came out to the box office himself didn't send a roadie, didn't send a road manager, whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. and got my wife, who we had never met, hugged her, took the kids backstage, let them uh, take pictures with the coat on. It was just the So how ultimate. did the song do? The Soldier Love yeah, was, yeah. was platinum, gold. Gold, okay. It was platinum. It was a platinum yeah, so, single. So what did he do after that? Sorry to cut this off because no. I want to hear more about this. Well, and, we're going to have to do sessions. We have to do, yeah, we're going to have to do sessions on music. So actually, you're going to have to do sessions. You've got a new show here. I just hope you know that. Okay. And you know who I want you to do it with? Andalisi. You got it. Okay. And if you're listening. Okay. Well, we're going to send her a copy of this, okay? okay? So, so, yeah, so Donnie did that. And so did he do any more hits then, or did he go back no, to Donnie Osmond? No, he went back to... to Puppy st- Love. But what it did do for him yeah, was yeah. it re... It, you know, we did a whole publicity campaign. It completely reintroduced him. Right. But... Um, what that, if Frankenheimer still represents him? I don't know. Well, you'll know. I'll talk to him this week. But it was years and years ago, and it was so much fun. Because my mother, with all the artists, yeah. from Aerosmith to... She just remembers Donnie. That, that was the only one that she, she said, tell her friends, oh, oh my son represents Donnie Osmond. Finally. You're making it finally. Oh, you made it with Donnie. there's a name I can So understand. you made it with Donnie. You know, it's funny. It's, it's, I'm learning things about you. I'm like so like blown away right now. And, and this was not going to be the show, I hate to tell you. I didn't, I didn't want to do this show, but I wanted to do the show. And I'm really happy the way it's going. I mean, we're 45 minutes into this thing already. I want to talk about my new venture. Okay, let's 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 do this. The, um, you know, this is that's why I came on the show to All talk right, about which my venture, new Crane Homes. All right, we'll we'll get to that All in a right. minute. But I'll do another segment with you this week. Fine, I promise you. Okay, okay, we'll do that this week. All let's right. finish the music, and I promise you this week I will find time in the studio to do a whole thing on the Crane. Fine, homes. is that fair? Yes. All right, because so let's, I told them I was going to do a podcast. Oh, with you, you did. Uh, well, you know what? We'll, we'll do it this week, and then we'll invite them on. So Fine. we'll do that. Uh, Crane right. Homes is going to be. 
all over the place. Okay, okay. Cranes was going to have their own show here. We'll do highlights of. We I got the idea. But so, but you were on music right now. I got about okay. five minutes left with you. Okay. And and studio time, because I'm I'm blown away. I I. I I want you to do well with Cranes, believe me. I want you. I was back here in Florida. When you got to Florida, I want you, I always want the best for you. Thank you. But you're going to be doing music, Crane, and other stuff. You know me. I got 50 right. things in my bag. and, and what, We don't have to sleep, do we? No. Okay. I, I just as long as we have fun. You know what? I always say, if you love what you do, and do it well. Money's a byproduct. Money just comes. I told and, my boys that. Yeah. Unfortunately, they're both in the music business. Um, but they're doing well. I'm proud of them. And, uh, All right, so we're going to go back to this, and I'm, I'm going to right. wrap it here. So we've had we met Aerosmith, we met Steven Tyler early on in Boston. You you helped Donnie out to this day. I'll probably still buy, buy you a dinner in Vegas if you yes. want. Um, so out of everything in the music industry, what would you say was your best achievement in the music business? If you look, I want you to think a minute here. If you look at it, how do you feel the best? Of, I mean, you, you take passion with every artist. I can tell that. All right, and I've got people calling me from the East Coast last night. I got I got a video at one o'clock this morning that woke my ass up of an artist. Okay, and I always talk about you, so I, I want you to you know. So I can send. We'll have Crane Homes. We'll do this, but let's talk about what was the moment in the industry that you really are proud of, the most proud of. The most proud of, I was was taking a band from here called I Prevail, which did a cover version of Blank Space by Taylor Swift. In 2015, okay. and they had never played live. They really weren't a band. They just did this song, this cover song, a heavy metal version of Blank Space, and it sold two million copies, um, and it streamed. And uh, we ended up playing. Um, I, I, always, I told them I would take them from the storage space to the Palace Theater in less than two years and we headlined the Fillmore and the and the and the Royal Oak uh, music and we played the Palace and we played Warp Tour that band because I had to actually show them how to go on stage how to do a show how to put a show together how to pace it you know you have to have like two songs that introduce you and let the sound guy get it together then you do a ballad you take a breath then you do two or three harder songs then you I had to show them there's things that you can do. Like, for example, the way, if you have an unknown band, mm-hmm. I, I'm giving a lot of stuff out here. But okay, it's okay, don't give too much. you got to keep your secret sauce. I call it the staggered opening. Okay. So you're a band, you're playing in Green Bay, nobody knows who you are. So what I do is I have just the drummer go up on stage, and he starts. And then everyone walks in. I wait, I hold on to the bass player, he goes up. Then eventually they start playing, and then the lead singers last. So what it does is, you're if you're talking to a friend, if you're ordering a drink or whatever it is, you're all of a sudden, what's going on? What this always works, and it will work today. And emotionally, yeah, yeah, you get yeah. emotionally involved in who these guys are. You don't even know who they are. Yeah. I did it with Seether. Seether was a band. That's probably my biggest success. Was Seether. taking a band from the streets of of Johannesburg, doing Nirvana covers. Getting the record deal here in America, and selling multi-platinum, four or five million copies of their first record. Wow! And um, it was an amazing five years. Volbeat from from Denmark. It was an amazing success. Um, I've had a lot of success, and I've had a lot of fun doing it. And it was never for the money. And and so let's do this. We got about a minute left. Okay. And. Um, I want people to know uh, you're doing the real estate and you're still going to do a little bit of music stuff because I, I would like that. Um, Let me tell you, give a, you a compliment for the last minute. Okay, go ahead. The, what got me excited is this, uh, the Streamcast. Mm-hmm. It's so hard for musicians to make money. If you get a million streams, you would get $1,500. Yeah, maybe double if you're lucky. So people that have 50 million streams that's not a career right but what you give them is the ability the only two real spheres are live and merch yeah yep you've made streaming a third income stra- uh, source as well as the ability to geo target your audience find them and eventually streamcast shows for those people that will allow you to have a regular interaction with your audience that keeps them you have to constantly well, you got to be in their something. face you got to be in Content their face yeah, yeah yeah and so i say to young artists if it's a 30 second tiktok with a 
uh, if your girlfriend has a tarantula, which is true, uh, one of my bands, uh, I said, let it just crawl on her for 15 seconds while your song's playing. And sure enough, it did 150,000 uh, things on TikTok in the last week. I mean, th there's so many people out there, and there's such a competition for, for entertainment. You just got to just do it the best you can and and you'll find your audience and that's what we're going to do we're going to we're going to look at the artists we're going to figure out how to monetize them so they can stay in the game uh and give them places to play um we're going to have you back probably thursday if you don't mind uh, i that usually do my laundry thursday but i am available okay we're going to talk about the folks at cranes i Fine. promise maybe get a couple of them to come in to interview them we'll okay. spend plenty of time and i want to thank you i've learned so much more about you in the music industry and and I'm getting calls left and right, and we, and we haven't even marketed, but we're getting calls from people, hey, can you help me, can you help me, you can help me. And from what I just heard, yeah, we can help them um, and do what they want in the music. That's our goal. We're going to finish our studio finally in the garage band studio for 50 people to play and stream. So we'll get that done, and, and we've got live entertainment venues we're looking at, the one in Wisconsin and the other ones we're looking at. So... Um, I want to thank you for your time this morning. I mean, thank I, you, Paul. It's always I, good to I, see you. I, I really enjoyed this, and it wasn't the planned show, but you know, I started thinking I never get an hour of you to discuss you, and right. you're not the one that flaunts your business. And and you're talking about people that have a heart and really did something. Um, you are the number one entertainment attorney in Detroit, and that's from my heart. And I know you have passion. Um, we're all coming out of what we called COVID, and I say it was our depression plus. Because people lost lives, people stopped their lives, right. and, and I think now's the new beginning of, of what we want to do. And there's a lot of what I call starving artists. I was talking to a guy last night who went to high school with who does autonomous vehicles, and I want to use him for bringing the music industry here, give transportation. So we have a big dream and big hope, which we're going to accomplish in the next year or two, with the artist. Um, and and you are part of that team. Um, I know you can do about anything you get your mind to and want to do. Yep. Um, I, I tell people I'm the dumb one in the company. I want to thank Alan Cantino, who's in the control room this morning, who without him, Streamcast doesn't exist. And you didn't thank get a glass Alan. of water, uh, a cup of I water. Have, we lost me. We would have been <laughs> up by the but, side. But of Alan, the Alan is really uh, amazing in the music industry, too, and what he does with 11-mile sessions. And uh, we'll have to come here, 11-mile sessions, get Ann here, and you're going to do a show with Ann. She doesn't know it yet. But we'll do this, and we're going to bring the music in the heart of the country here, and we'll have to get Don over here, get uh, Faginson. He'll call me once in a while and say, hey, what's up? Um, but once again, thank you very much for coming sure. here on your Saturday morning. Alan, we're going to wrap it down in a minute here. And um, once again, uh, you're listening to Benzman Biz on Streamcast and NRM Streamcast Detroit. And um, once again, uh, I hope you have a great day, and uh, we'll talk in, uh, this Thursday on another show. Thanks, Paul, for being human caffeine. All right. Have a good one. Bye.